Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning into episode 50 of Excelsior Journeys. I am just so, so thrilled that the show has gone as far as, it, as far as it has. And I really hope that all of you have been listening to each episode. It just feels like each one is just, uh, just getting, getting the show better and better and better. I, I couldn't be more thrilled with, with the direction in which it's been going. I couldn't be, thrilled with, uh, couldn't be more thrilled with the feedback that I've been getting. So I hope you're, you're tuning in and I hope you're subscribing to the show. You can hear us on Apple. Google, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and its home base, Podbean. Um, likes, reviews, shares, everything means so much to me. So thank you for all of you for, uh, for taking that plunge and giving the show your, uh, your attention. Um, I very, very much appreciate it, and I can't wait to, to, uh, to bring out the next 50 episodes. Now, for this great 50th episode, I got a little story to tell you. I'm going to go back in time a bit to a much more, um, much more pleasant time, the year 2005. And no, this is not the year 2005 from Transformers the movie. Um, kudos to Flint Dilly for again being a guest. Um, but this was uh, this was the year 2005 in our time, and this was uh, this would also wind up being uh, my last year in the current the apartment that I was living in before I would move in with. Uh, with my girlfriend and eventually my wife. Um, this was during a time when I was involved with a, uh, with a, with a small theater group uh, that originally called itself Neopac, but then uh, eventually wound up calling itself Inch Mile Entertainment. And um, it, was a, it was a great group of uh, men and women I'm really proud to be friends with to this day. And we did, uh, in 2005, we took the plunge on the 24-hour play uh, setup. And basically what that is, is a, uh, it's when a, um, a, a, I keep saying a film, but it's when a play is put together, it's written, and it is, uh, it is rehearsed, 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 and then performed 
for the, you know, for the live audience in a 24 hour period. It's a great, uh, great exercise. It's got like, it's, it's a real exciting sort of feeling. And it was my first time taking the plunge in something like this. Uh, thankfully, I had a great director with me. I, I had, uh, I was assigned Scott Laska, shout out to Scott. And um, I wound up getting a really great cast. And I had to pick three different names out of a hat. And the third one that I picked was, had me super excited because I knew that there was an idea that I had that I could really work with. And I knew that this guy would just knock it out of the park. And that was Ryan Kasperzak. And throughout, the, throughout that night, I went over the idea that I had for this play with Scott. And I had two different ideas, one involving the internet and one involving getting on, uh, waiting online for a, uh, for a concert. And he said, you know, like, why don't you combine those? And so we combined, so I went ahead and combined them and I started, everything really started to flow. And it's amazing what a deadline can do because that night, by the end of that night, there was a finished script. Um, he had helped out a little bit with, uh, with getting the ending and was sharpening some uh, different elements here and there. But, uh, but it was just a great achievement to actually have this one act play all set for the cast. And the cast was really excited when they got the script. They were thrilled to, uh, to bring it to life. And they did in a way that was above and beyond anything I could have imagined. And speaking of above and beyond anything I could have imagined, that's pretty much what Ryan Kasperzak himself has done since that time, because I already knew that he was talented as hell. I already knew that he was um, a great actor and an amazing dancer. Um, the guy you know, does tap in a way that I hadn't seen live at all. Um, so it, it's, it, he's got like this, you know, this amazing sort of like it factor that makes you, that immediately makes you buy into the fact that like, hey, this guy is gonna go on and be something special. And it turns out he's gone and be, <laughs> become several things special. And uh, because he has not only, you know, continued on with his acting, continued on with his dancing, but he has also um, moved into choreographing. And he has also worked on national ads, uh, national commercials. Um, he has, uh, his brother Evan was involved on So You Think You Can Dance, which Ryan was as well. Ryan uh, was a choreographer there. He was also, he also got to compete and uh, got fairly far on there as well. Evan got up to third place the season before that. It's just been, uh, it's just been a great ride watching him just get, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. And for all of you who are, who are tuning into Disney Plus to, uh, to enjoy Hamilton, um, Ryan is also the dance supervisor of the Ann Peggy tour the national tour of Hamilton. So it's safe to say that, uh, that the sky really is the limit for Ryan. And the fact that he has been able to work it into a schedule to come here and tell his story um, is something that I absolutely appreciate. So it is my pleasure for episode 50 of Excelsior Journeys to present a true Excelsior journey right here with our guest, Ryan Kasperzak. Ryan, how are you, sir? I'm terrific, George. You flatter me with that introduction. I'm blushing here um, at my <laughs> at home. Um, Dude, you know, I am. I, I am just being honest. I am just being honest because, <laughs> like, I was really was thrilled knowing that you know, because it just in true dramatic fashion, your your name was the third one that I picked out of that hat. So it was just like, yeah, I, you know, I 
I was lucky to be a collaborator with you and our friend Scott Laska and, you know, being in a basement theater in on Christopher Street mm -hmm. for really the joy of it and the, the play and the um, fun of experimenting with people who love to do what they do. Uh, it's just a reminder now, here we are, um, I don't know how many years beyond 15, that. 15 um, years, It's yeah. just a reminder of, of why we started doing it in, in the first place, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, 15 years, wow, wow. Yeah. And I have to say, I, um, I, you know, here we are, you and I reconnecting, and I've also um, stayed in touch with our friend Scott Laska. I actually just taught for him two weeks ago. Him and his wife, Krista, have um, an amazing performing arts, um, uh, uh, performing arts center called Haddonfield, uh, and my wife, actually, for a masterclass series. It's really inspiring to think um, that we've come all this way, and here we are, you know, still doing awesome. the thing. So you uh, so you'd mentioned um, the work that you were doing with, with, uh, with Scott School, and you had also done some, uh, some mm -hmm. adjunct work for, at Marymount, correct? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I've been back to, to Marymount a few times. Um, I was lucky enough to most recently direct and choreograph a production of Once Upon a Mattress that we did as a co-production with uh, Marymount and the York Theatre Company. Oh, uh, awesome. And, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. So, you know, th that's a show that I always loved and talk about creative problem solving. I, I started thinking about that show because there's this great number that the jester does in the second act called Very Soft Shoes. And mm -hmm it feels like it wants to be a big tap number, but obviously he's singing about his dad who used to wear very soft shoes when he was a dancer. So it can't be a big tap number. And so I had this idea that maybe it could be a sand dance, which is, you know, comes out of the Ooh. old vaudevillian tradition. And yeah. it sort of spun me into this other world where I decided to set the whole production in, um, in 1920s vaudeville. And it really took off all of a sudden, like, the minstrel was sort of like a Django Reinhardt uh, crooner and, and the, the wizard was like an old top hat and tails magician and um, Winifred was a, was a flapper and, and the whole thing was, uh, was so much fun and kind of wild and wacky and it's just fun to see the way a creative problem becomes a creation and the way it leads you into a whole new world of imagining. Yeah, and, and uh, for those of you who um, were fans of uh, the Cosby Show back in the day, um, there was uh, there was a great uh, there was a whole like uh, episode that was centered around tap dancing, and I remember this older guy uh, pouring the you know putting the sand on the floor and saying the Sandman Sims. That's right, and just go to challenge, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and does that. So yeah, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... Yeah, it, um, and it was, it was Sandman Sims, who's a le legendary tap dancer. He's also in the movie Tap with Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis oh, Jr. Wow. Um, and, you know, he was him and Eddie Brown, uh, who was the first uh, dancer I studied with that did the, the sand dance, um, you know, sort of, sort of kept that going for a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's always fun to sort of, you know, throw back to those classic traditions. Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely going to be, uh, be talking about those names as well as we go on. But um, for all of you, uh, for all you Disney Plus fans out there that, uh, that went ahead and took the plunge on the subscription so that way they can binge watch Hamilton, which I finally got to see, by the way, because I've Amazing. been keeping myself, I've been keeping myself so cold on it just because like, um, just because I wanted to like experience it 
without, mm-hmm. you know, like without hearing the soundtrack first or anything like that, without seeing any clips first. I just kept mm-hmm. myself completely away from it until I knew that I could sit down and completely immerse myself in it. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks ago, finally got to do that. And oh man, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's been so fascinating um, now that it's on Disney Plus, so many people coming to it and people like you who, you know, I want to say, we could say that you quarantined yourself from Hamilton for the last exactly. Five years. Exactly. The payoff is that you come to it fresh. And yeah, uh, yeah, I remember um, uh, when we were in San Francisco, we opened in San Francisco and we had one one set of friends that we knew when we moved out there and Mm -hmm. and they came to opening night. I had two tickets to opening night. And so they were my guests and they had never seen it before. And the the joy and looking over Mm -hmm. and seeing them fully shell shocked at intermission. It's just something you, you'll you never forget. So it's been really fun. And, and I have to say this. So uh, I've seen the show hundreds of times from hundreds of different scenes oh, and different angles and backstage yeah. and everything. Nothing, nothing compares to the version that they have on Disney Plus. And the way it's filmed is yeah. it's an amazing, incredible way to see the show. And I think that's a credit to Tommy Kale, who's the director. He directed both Hamilton the musical and the Hamill film and the yeah. idea of, of seeing the show the way Tommy wants to see the show is a real treat. It's a real amazing experience. And I've seen, I've seen different, um, you know, uh, presentations of, of theatrical, you know, presentations, sure. everything yeah. on film. Um, yeah. There really was something really special about this one. Like it felt like it was really just, <clears throat> it really was so much more immersive then yeah, yeah it has a real so it has a real intimacy you never feel yeah. like you're in you know just in the back of the house just a camera right. set up in the back in the back of the house um and i think um part of the way much of the way the show it moves and the way the choreography is is so cinematic anyway in the mm-hmm. way that it draw it draws your eye to a certain character or a certain moment and i think they were just able to sort of roll with that idea and and just zoom in a little bit more and give you yeah um, a really cool, unique experience. And it was, it, it was sprawling and intimate at the same time. You know, sure, that, that yeah. was something that really, that really got to me because like, if you, if you give it that, you know, if you give that show to somebody like Hal Prince, then mm-hmm. it's going to be like this big sprawling epic and it doesn't, it's going to, things will get lost, you know, by yeah. doing that, yeah. you know, by yeah. this could, this likely, I could see this in like a black box theater and oh, yeah. have no, have without missing anything. You know, in fact, uh-huh. like it would actually kind of amplify things a little bit more. Yeah. Just by yeah, just by being a little bit closer to you like that. Right. It's interesting you say that when uh, when people come to the theater and I, I give tours, one of the things that people are struck by is how minimalistic the set design is. And mm-hmm. when you go backstage, there isn't really much to see backstage because most of the items are on stage. They The shelves that you see as part of the set design contain most of the props that are used and things right. like that. And I, I had this conversation with someone where, you know, if you look at art, we had, you know, for, for thousands of years, people were trying to paint exactly as we are in reality, you know? Mm-hmm. And then once we've hit a point of realism, and I think this happened in the theater, you know, in the eighties, once we can land a helicopter on stage and it looks like yeah. a real helicopter, well, where do we go from there? And, and I think what, what has happened and, what Hamilton does so well is sort of stripping all of that away. And now we no longer need 
need a dining room? Do we even need a table? Do we even need a doorway? We can just right. imagine, just, just give me a chair, you know? And, mm -hmm. and now the, the audience can fill in the rest of it with their imagination. And that sort of minimalism, I think, is executed so beautifully in Hamilton in so many ways because um, not only do we have that sort of minimalistic set design, but what I love is then, then we get to fill in the rest of the storytelling with the movement, with the dance, yeah. with the staging, and mm -hmm. with Andy Blankenbuehler's incredible choreography. So now, now we see the picture in a way that is beyond reality. You know what I mean? Right. That, that, that feels heightened because we're forced to imagine the bullet. Yeah, like hy having... hyper-reality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been cool. Everyone getting a chance to see it and hearing their opinions on it and, and the fact that it's now, it had already been shared with so many millions of people and now that that has been, you know, increased tenfold. Now, have you, uh, you've interacted with Lin-Manuel Miranda as well, correct? As the, as the yeah, sure. Advisor? Um, yes, I have. I actually, um, fun story, I actually met Lynn many moons ago. Um, one of my close friends, Neil Patrick Stewart, went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut with, with Lynn Manuel. And oh, wow. uh, Neil was a founding member of a small theater company called Backhouse Productions that used to be in the basement of the drama bookshop. And the other oh. members included Tommy Kale, who mm -hmm. would go on to be the director of In the Heights and... Mm -hmm. um, and, and Hamilton. Uh, and Hamilton, right. That show, <laughs> Hamilton. Um, anyway, yeah, and so I, used to, I used to go and I used to see these, these small productions that Backhouse would do in the basement of the drama bookshop. And so I met Lynn early in the developmental process of In the Heights. And, oh, wow. uh, and so every time I would see him subsequently in the future, he always you know, remembered me from, uh, from my friendship with Neil and would ask about Neil. And, uh, and he, <laughs> he was a huge fan of Bandstand, um, Andy Blankenbuehler's most recent musical that I did on Broadway. And he oh, came, wow. I think, he came like two or three times. And then, um, and then when I started working on Hamilton, the Ann Peggy company opened in Puerto Rico. And so mm -hmm. Lynn came back into the show after not doing it for two years. And so I, I was part of the sort of the rapid fire crash course that was <laughs> rehearsing Lynn back into uh, Hamilton. And we had like two days because it was right um, in December of 20, uh, 2018 when he was doing all this press for Mary Poppins. So we yeah. had like, like, you know, a, a day or two in the studio with him. And we did like a, ru a run of the show that was, it was Lynn as Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And then it was me Michael Balderrama, who's the um, the global dance supervisor, uh, Alex Lacamoire, and Patrick Vassell, who's the associate director, playing all of the other parts around oh, Lynn, man. and just sort of like running around the stage <laughs> like, like crazy people, Great. like tr trying to be all the parts for him. And uh, oh my gosh, it was so fun! Like uh, Lac, as he's affectionately called, Alex Lacamoire, who's the music director and arranger. Yeah. When we got to the cabinet battles, he was like, I got this. And so he jumps up and he's nice. doing Jefferson opposite of Lin-Manuel. Um, oh, man. And <laughs> it was funny. So we're in Puerto Rico and we're doing all this, you know, we have all this fancy press. And Lin has this like ratty bandstand hoodie that he wears everywhere, which just really? made my heart so warm. He was Aww. such a fan of the show and, um, you know, continues to be such a fan of, of, of Broadway in general. Um, and so it was really fun. So, yes. Yeah, so, I, so then getting to work with him, it was the first time I had worked with him um, 
when he went into the show in Puerto Rico and, and, and that experience, if I, if you don't mind, I'll just talk about that for a second was go for it, go for it. Yeah. It, it was incredible. Um, so we were there, the show ran three weeks and we had two weeks of rehearsal and, uh, and no pressure. Part, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so part of the reason we were there, um, Lynn and his father, Luis Miranda, um, had organized uh, in collaboration with the Flamboyant Arts Fund, they had outlined um, a philanthropic uh, journey for the show that would raise $15 million for arts and for artists and arts education on the island. And, wow. and it was fully successful. And uh, they were able to do it pairing with other charities like um, Jose Andreas uh, and um, uh, World Central Kitchen, they would do these big fancy dinners and Lynn would come and make an appearance and they would see the show and all of that money would go to the Flamboyant Arts Fund. And while we were there, I remember taking a, a cab from our hotel to the theater for opening night and the, mm -hmm. the taxi driver said to my wife and I, he said, you do realize that this is the most important night in Puerto Rico since the hurricane arrived. And he said, because what you all are doing, he said, many people have raised money for, for Puerto Rico and many people have raised money for relief, but we, the, the, the locals of San Juan, we, we're not seeing that in action. We, we don't know where that money goes or how it gets distributed, but this, He's like, people have to come here to experience mm -hmm. Hamilton and Puerto Rico. Yeah. People have to be part of, of San Juan and understand the beauty of Puerto Rico. And, and you can't do that from a distance. You have to come and experience it. And that is why this is so important. And it was just so, so special. You know, as artists, we, we always, you know, believe in in the good we're doing for the world and in the way yeah. that our art can affect positive change. And, mm -hmm. and it was one of the few times in my life where I've been part of something and you could see the effect. You could feel the buzz in the city. Everyone we met was so thrilled to have us. We did, um, we, so we were there for three weeks. And so all three of the Wednesday matinees um, were, uh, uh, all of the tickets of the 2,500 seats were sold to locals for $10. Some of those mm -hmm. were student matinees. And for the student matinees, um, people could access the tickets digitally, but then there were also tickets given in person for people who, who didn't have um, access to that. And so I remember leaving the theater on a Tuesday night and seeing mm -hmm. 100 people camped outside for what would be the Wednesday matinee the next day. And what, what that experience was. Um, so I, I would, you know, as a dance supervisor, I'm not in the show. So sometimes yeah. I would sneak, sneak into the house or I would stand in the back of the house and particularly those student matinees, I would go out there and I would time the applause for when Lynn would make his first appearance. Mm, <laughs> you know, nice. Aaron, Aaron Burr says, what's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton, boom, right. standing ovation. 45 wow. seconds, six, 60 seconds of applause. Um, oh, and man. Just, so just everything idea, just like stops then, right? Like everything they, just stops. It just stops. And, you know, he justifiably so is a hero uh, yeah. in Puerto Rico. And, you know, and, and it's because he continues to go back and he continues to make um, Puerto Rico a priority in, in his life, in his philanthropy, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's so important to him and his family. And it was so special to be there and be a part of it. Um, 
it's definitely a, a career highlight and something I'll never forget. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, and the great thing is, is like, if, if, the, if you had like just that, like that alone would be just like, was, would be just amazing, but you got a whole lot more on your resume. So we're going to yeah. go back to the beginning of all of this. We're going to cool, go cool. to that moment, what I call the lightning bolt moment. Um, uh, there's got, there's always, especially for like a lot of creative people, there's always that one moment, always one experience they have or something that makes mm -hmm. them point in that direction. Just say like, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. That's the path I want to go on. What uh, was that for you what, after, at the very beginning of all of this? Yeah, there's a really clear moment for me. Um, so mm -hmm. my family, uh, my, my father, uh, he's now a race car engineer, but when we were growing up, he was a corporate engineer in the auto industry. And so we bounced around a lot. And uh, mm -hmm. we had just moved to the suburbs of Chicago, a town called St. Charles, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I had done community theater for, you know, a few years. I'm probably like, I don't know, like 12 at this point. Mm -hmm. And, um, and every time I would do a show in the community theater, you know, they'd be like, oh, you're such a great dancer. You should take dance classes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> you know, I, I was an right. athlete growing up. I played soccer and baseball as a kid and I was more interested in that. And I loved the theater, but you know, I don't know if dance was for me. And so we yeah. had just moved to St. Charles and my mom found an ad in the newspaper for a free boys street dance class. This was like mm -hmm. 1992. So hip hop didn't exist yet. So we didn't call it hip hop. We called right. it street dance. Yeah. Um, and MC Hammer and Michael Jackson were really popular and, and, mm -hmm. and I love to like dance around the house like those guys. And so my mom was like, Oh, what do you think of this? Maybe you want to go. And you know, we had just moved there. I didn't really have any friends yet. And I was like, I don't know, mom, I'm not sure if it's for me. <laughs> you know, right. And my mom, my mom so wisely, you know, what she could tell was like, here's like a preteen young boy who doesn't necessarily feel comfortable saying like, I want to take dance class. And right. so how can, how can we, sort of take a detour around that and so she said i'll tell you what we'll flip a coin and if it if it's heads you go to the dance class if it's tails i'll never ask you again wow and i was like okay great okay great and so, <laughs> so we, we we flipped the coin yeah heads i went to the dance class and like it changed my life can you, you know? imagine and if I, it came up tails i mean like i know i i to this day i wonder if my mom like if that was really how it how it landed you know right. if she were if she would have tried to like be like well you know maybe we'll try again or whatever i don't know that's two but, out of three she, you know, just. yeah yeah but she didn't have to so I, I went to the class and i remember um they would give you okay this is my midwest coming out they would give you one yeah. kid would get a free pop right there was a ah, pop machine which is nice. soda for those of you who grew up on the east coast um <laughs> And so I remember I had, I did the class and it was really fun. And the teacher at the end was like, okay, well you get a free pop. And I was like, wait, what? Like I come to dance class and I get like, I get free pop. This is great. And at the, anyway, so while I'm drinking my pop, the teacher is talking to my mom about, you know, Hey, you know, Ryan really seems to show some talent. We'd love to put him on scholarship. I didn't even know what the word scholarship meant at the time. Uh, and uh, I just think of, you know, this woman, Ellen Copeland was her name. It was Copeland Dance Academy. Mm -hmm. She saw something in me and, and in one, in one day she changed the trajectory of my life. And, and, you know, I will forever be grateful for that. And, and from that day on, I started taking jazz classes and tap classes. And, and a little bit later when I started to get serious, I started taking ballet and, mm -hmm. um, and all of that. But I, I, I always think back to that, to that afternoon boys 
dance class. And yeah. like, you know, I, I, I came in with no expectations and, right. and, and as I left, I think I, I remember the, as I started to come back and go to class, you know, I, I was always like a okay athlete. Like I'm not a big guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never going to be a, I was at best going to be like a bench warmer in high school or something like that. But I remember right. that feeling of like, I remember of like being in tap class and being that of feeling like, wow, I'm like really good at this. Like looking around the room and being like, I have, I have something that, that I'm suddenly now like the number one guy or the number two guy instead of like the number 10 guy on the baseball team, you know? Yeah. And, and again, not to say that um, being good at something is, is the be all and end all, but I think that's what, that's what, helps us gravitate towards what our true passions are because when we're 10, 11, 12, or even younger, we don't have the language to express what it is to, to love something that you want to do it the rest of your life or to, to talk about what it feels to be passionate about your art making. You know, that's language that we acquire later yeah. in our lives. And so the feeling of being good at something and sort of the the um, gratification of knowing that you have some kind of almost otherworldly skill is mm-hmm. enough for, for yeah. a 12 year old boy to say like, okay, this is cool. Like I'll keep doing this. You and, know? and like confidence is such a, is such a key part of it too, because yeah, absolutely. That, you know, like you, you become, you know, you show that you have something and mm-hmm. you get that sort of acknowledgement from authority figures that yeah, yeah. confirm that yes you do have something and that gives yeah. you the confidence to keep going and then all of a sudden yeah. you're just going to get better and better and better um yeah. so what- it also didn't hurt that like um so here i was like 12 going on 13 and suddenly it was like a whole room full of teenage girls and there was uh, like, there only, like only like two boys and i was like Wait, so why should why should i want to go back to the baseball team <laughs> this is great <laughs> this is amazing what a oh, wonderful awesome. way to spend my afternoons right um, right that's yeah, that's so, fantastic so you said yeah. that you were you went in for you know like uh street for a street dance and uh-huh. what was it about tap that grabbed you like because that yeah. you know like what I've, what I've seen, you know, like what I've seen you do in uh-huh. you know, like regarding tap is just mind blowing. And oh, well, thank I you. mean, I, I, you know, like I, I took, I took tap myself like back when I was like four or five, six years old. Um, mm-hmm. But I never got further beyond that. So any sort of tap skills I had, you know, like uh-huh. gone. And so like, what, you know, like watching you out there, it was just like, damn it. Why didn't I uh-huh. stick with tap? Like those, <laughs> just like, yeah. Because yeah, like tap- then all of a, cause you get to see like what it could be and it's just right, really right. remarkable like what you know watching you go so um, yeah, what tap, was it about tap is something you know it's um I've I've never been instinctive about many things like like you know you know the film Goodwill Hunting of course right yeah. and of so and Matt Dam- Matt Damon's character talks about like math and like he just he just got it and some mm-hmm. people when they sit down to play a piano they can just play. And he says, when I sit down, I see a box of wood, you know, Mm -hmm. and tap, it was just one of those things. Like I could just hear it. I could, you know, I could just, I could hear rhythm and, and I was able to like translate that easily into, Mm -hmm. into my feet. And like, you know, and, and as I got 
as I got older and, and, and I started to study and I started to practice improvisation, I, I started talking about it. It's like, it's like a channel that exists between your brain and your feet. And, mm -hmm. and, and over, you know, my 10,000 hours of becoming an expert as a tap dancer, I just felt like it, I was clearing out that passageway, you know? Yeah. And, and I think also I, I had, I had some amazing teachers and mentors, um, the first being Jennifer Miller, who was my, my tap teacher uh, when we moved to Michigan shortly after we were in St. Charles. And, um, right. and she was my, my sort of my, my guide all through my teenage years and now is, continues to be one of my best friends. And she took me to a show in downtown Detroit. Uh, it was called the Paradise Theater Gala. And it mm -hmm. was at um, what used to be... Um, a venue called the Paradise Theater that was like an old vaudeville house in, in downtown Detroit. And right. uh, it was the first time I saw like real, real uh, hoofing rhythm tap. And, yeah. and the bill that night was, it was Buster Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Lady Di, Diane Walker, who's sort of the, I mean, she is the queen of, of tap dance. Yeah. Um, it was Robert Reed, who's an amazing, very famous tap dancer out of St. Louis. It was like this incredible lineup of tap dancers. And at the end, they did what, what any good tap show does, which is they call all the tap dancers on stage and they do this thing called the Shim Sham Shimmy, which is sort mm -hmm. of like the secret handshake of tap dancers everywhere. It was a nice. dance that was, that was um, originally created by Leonard Reed. And it just sort of is, it, it's so, um, it speaks to the community of tap dance that is so supportive and, and just loves to sort of like nurture that community that at the end of every tap show you will ever see mm -hmm. uh, anywhere in the world, the last thing they do is they bring everyone on stage and everyone does a shim sham. Wow. And so, and so there I was on stage with like all these amazing people and, and, and I just got so into it. It was back in the day when we had to watch like VHS tapes of things. And so Right. So I started watching, watching these VHS tapes. And then in the summers, I would go to these tap festivals all over the country, the Chicago Human Rhythm Project, the St. Louis Tap Festival, mm -hmm. um, the Detroit Tap Festival. Uh, and, and, and they were all over the Midwest. And I got to study with all of these amazing teachers. And um, I, got to meet, I got to meet the Nicholas Brothers, who continue to be, you know, like, I think the greatest tap dance duo that ever lived. I got to mm -hmm. study with Robert Reed and Diane Walker and Peg Leg Bates and <laughs> um, Maceo Anderson and Prince Spencer and all these amazing tap dancers. And then um, when I was a teenager, I think I was, uh, I guess I was probably about 17. Um, in the summers, I would go to this program with Matt Gregory Hunt, uh, who, you know, man, Gregory, like, he understood what it meant to be Michael Jordan to someone like me, you know? Yeah. And, um, and he was just so generous from the first time I met him, you know, he knew I was just like a young kid who I grew up idolizing Gregory Hines. And so here I am dancing with yeah. him. And I remember I was in class with him and then he like called me into the center of a circle at the end of class. And we like, we traded, we, we battled a little bit. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is it. I could die right now and would never be happier. I, and, I was, I was so going to you know. ask about this. I was so going to ask yeah. about this because I yeah. heard this and I was yeah. like, I, I, I believed it, but at the same time, it's just like, I know how, I know how rumors, you know, like develop yeah. 
in college. So I, no, I was definitely going to ask you, like, you know, about the validity of this. I am blown yeah. away the fact that this is true. I am so happy. It's a true, true story. So, the, so you know, I, I took class with Gregory, and, and at the end of almost all of his classes, he does, like, a little circle, and, and he yeah. talks about improv, and, and everyone takes a little turn. And so I went out and took my turn, and again, I, you know, it was like he saw a little spark in me, and so then he came out with me, and so then he did a phrase, and so then I did a phrase, and then he did a phrase, and, and the next thing I know, like, we're just dancing together, you know? Oh, and uh, oh, it was amazing. And, and um, I got to go to lunch with him afterwards. And then, and then for many years after that, he, you know, we stayed in touch. And <laughs> I remember, um, <laughs> so I did a benefit show um, to raise money for the scholarship fund at the Broadway Theater Project. Mm -hmm. and, and Gregory did the show and we were there uh, at the sound check. And I was, you know, I was so shy around him. Like he was, yeah. he was it for me and so mm -hmm. I, anyway, I I didn't want to like go up to him and say hey my name's Ryan do you remember me and so <laughs> so I went to the bathroom uh in the theater where we were doing the sound check and he comes in and he's at the stall next to me and we're going to the bathroom and he looks over and he's like he's like I know you he's like you're from the Broadway <laughs> Theater Project and I'm like oh you know I'm like yeah yeah oh, meanwhile I'm like try I'm trying to take a pee like, here's Gregory Hines like talking to me while I'm going to the bathroom and you know <laughs> It's so silly, but he just like, yeah, he just made himself so accessible, you yeah. know? And I think, and I, and I remember hearing him talk in a and a about his relationship with Sammy Davis Jr. and what mm -hmm. that was like. Yeah. And he, he said, you know, if you're, if you're a basketball fan and you idolize LeBron James, the odds of you getting to shoot free throws with LeBron James is like a million to one. Mm -hmm. But that's not how tap dance works, you know? Yeah. The community of tap dancers is very small and it, it mm -hmm. is very family oriented. And so I think he had that relationship with Sammy and he knew that to kids like me, he he was he was it. He was our LeBron James. And so yeah. he he just really I think took pride in 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 the idea that he was gonna be someone's hero and that that every minute he spent with someone with me is a minute that I would remember for the rest of my life. And, uh, and it definitely has. Yeah. yeah. It just stuck with me. And it was, you know, he, he died of, uh, of cancer when I was, I guess, probably in my early twenties and, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, I took it pretty hard and, and, um, I just, I'm so grateful for the time I did get to spend with him and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and for what he gave, not only to me, but to everyone in the tap community and the way he brought people together is something yeah. that he is, is remembered for and is sort of glorified for in the tap community because there have been amazing artists um, since then, but I don't think anyone has like unified uh, the, com the community and, and sort of prided themselves on being that kind of figure in the way that Gregory yeah. did. And you know, and he's also you know you also he also had the experience as an actor outside of town. Sure, yeah, really absolutely. Kind of, like put the spotlight on him. One of my one of my favorites from the '80s is Running Scared. So like that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like getting that sort of you know getting that sort of visibility and everything. I mean, just makes and he has the movie Tap. Um, right. Yeah, which, which is amazing. And if any tap dancers out there, if you have not seen the movie Tap, you have to look it up. And if, if you see a tap dancer in the film that you don't know, you have to look them up because that's where yeah. you get guys like Sandman Sims and Steve mm -hmm. Condos and uh, the Nicholas Brothers and Jimmy Slide and like all of the greats are in that movie. So yeah. 
it's it's, it's kind of like um the um uh boogaloo shrimp from the movie breaking yes. you know like refer, yes, refer exactly. to breaking he referred to breaking uh -huh. as the end of the dragon of hip-hop of breakdancing movies yep, yep. So this is kind yes. of the, end of the dragon of tap dancing movies basically because he got, exactly everything. He got everyone is. involved so yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's so cool um so with all of this that you've got that you've done <laughs> at that point uh -huh. you know like what was it about marymount that made you say like i want to go there i want to go you know, to you know like 71st yeah, street yeah, second yeah. and third avenue like <laughs> what was it so, about that that place that made that made it so welcoming to you obviously i mean they would have bent over backwards to bring you in you know so yeah, like, what I, I don't know about that, but so I, you know, I grew up in Michigan, mostly in Michigan, um, uh, from the time I was a teenager all the way through high school. And, you know, I didn't take my first trip to New York city until I was probably like 15 or 16. Oh, wow. Um, and so I just fell in love with New York, like instantaneously, mm -hmm. just the oh, buzz yeah. and, and the theater. And like, you know, uh, the few times I did get to go when I was in high school, I, I would get to see some shows and mm -hmm. I, I just, there was nothing like it. And so I looked at every school in New York, like every school, I mean, yeah. like all the way out to Long Island and just anywhere mm -hmm. that I could be close to this new thing that was so uh, magnetic to me. And so, yeah. um, and I also, um, I wanted to study acting. I didn't want to study dance or even musical theater necessarily. Um, I, you know, I went to a competitive dance studio and I did get a little bit burnt out on, on mm. dance and that, in that world from high school, yeah. you know? And so I wanted to, I wanted to be a real actor. I wanted to play all of Shakespeare's clowns and I wanted to do mm -hmm. Chekhov. And, and, um, and so uh, Marymount was a good fit for me. And also at the time that you and I were there, um, yeah. the late great Bill Bordeaux was mm -hmm. the head of the theater department and yes. his, philosophy was um the city is your campus and he was yeah. very open to letting someone like me kind of like design my own my own program in a few ways mm -hmm. um like i was a i was a writing for theater film and television minor and mm -hmm. i i did dabble in in the dance department and a few things in the musical theater department and i remember so this is like the epitome of bill bordeaux when i was yeah. a freshman he said, hey, he, he came up to me and, it, and there was a 400 level clown techniques class. And he said, we've got this great new clown techniques class. It's gonna be all seniors, but with your movement background, I think if you would be willing to take it, I could pass you out. It, it could replace your freshman movement credit. And so wow. I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, you went, so you went into the BFA program then? Right? Yeah, yeah, I went into the BFA acting program. Yeah. And, and so then here I am as a freshman in this, in this clown class. And so again, talk about like a little bit of something that sparks something else. Yeah. You know, I then went to London and I studied clowning there. And then after I toured a bit, um, after I graduated, I came back to New York and I found my way to this company called Parallel Exit Physical Comedy Theater. And mm. with them, I've spent 20 years creating and performing uh, a world of slapstick and vaudeville and physical comedy. And, and we've toured all over the world. Uh, we've had shows at the New Victory Theater in New York. And it has been, oh, wow. continues to be one of the funnest things I've ever, uh, I, I get to do is I get to yeah. make comedy with these, with these guys that I love. And we just, we basically you know, we go through a bunch of bits until we're all crying with laughter. And then we're like, okay, that's the bit. 
and right. uh, and 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 that all started with Bill Bordeaux at at Marymount Manhattan College and the idea that he I don't know what it was that he saw in me that he was like oh this guy's going to be a great clown right <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe I don't want to know what it was that he saw in me that made me <laughs> that made him think well, oh also, this guy's going to be a great clown he was also very much like somebody who could look like you know several steps ahead and he knew that yeah, something yeah. like that class was going to was going to spark something in you that was going to kind of bring in what you already had, you know, with your, sure. your, your sort of background and then just yeah. fill that in and give yeah, you some and, sort of compass. Yeah. And I also, while I was there, uh, I got to spend two years under the mentorship of Elizabeth Suedos. Um, I don't know if you remember, we had a small company that we nicknamed company mud. And so we got to do, uh, we did two shows, but they ran over, uh, it was, a full year course and we were there for January session. So it was essentially three semesters. Uh, well, they're not really semesters that way. I guess right. I should say three yeah. sessions a year. And so yeah. we were working with her and, and a composer named Michael Friedman who went on to write bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson and some mm -hmm. other amazing musicals. Um, and we were sort of learning to be creators. We were learning to uh, not just be actors, but to be yeah. storytellers and, and when I think about how that has shaped my career, um, mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think, of just how grateful I am to Liz, uh, Liz Suedos and and Michael, um, for that time. And and we yeah. also got to work at uh, we were working off campus at uh, La Mama Experimental Theater Company downtown. Oh wow! Which kind of like turned me on to like the whole downtown theater scene. Obviously, yeah. I came to New York like you know, dreaming of Broadway, but it was like, oh, maybe I'm interested in this kind of experimental theater where we use puppets and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and what does physical theater look like? And what is the stripped down avant-garde version of telling mm -hmm. that same story? Did um, you ever take, did you ever take the exploring the performing arts class? I didn't know. No. Oh my, uh -uh. I took that twice. I was so happy to, because like, that's basically every week you know, like on, you know, like it was uh, Thursday, it was a, either a Thursday night or a Friday night. It was, no, it was a Thursday for one, for the first time I did it. And then it was a Friday the next time. But it was literally, you know, each class was going out and seeing a show, whether it was mm -hmm. Broadway mm -hmm. or off-Broadway yeah. or off-off-Broadway and yeah. getting yeah. the wonderful experiences. And yeah, I mean, like uh, we got to see The King and I on Broadway like the first time around and Mm -hmm. um, I got to meet Lou Diamond Phillips, you know, like af afterwards, because I stayed, I stuck around the stage door. I um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, was there for the opening of the new victory uh, for right. the, oh, wow. uh, with uh, the Greenbird, uh, Julie Taymor's uh -huh. piece. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. I got to meet Elliot Goldenthal, got his autograph. Like it was, it's just so many amazing, you know, so many fun things. Saw this yeah. little, little show, you know, like that was opening up our, um, our semester first time I did it at the New York theater workshop, this little show mm -hmm. that you know, people had started to hear about called rent. So it's like, right. <laughs> it's right. like I got to see them at the, at the workshop, you know, like, and yeah, like, and that's just the, that's the best thing about uh, that. You know, that was the best thing about Marymount. And I think that's, yeah. that's the great thing. If you're, if you're a theater student mm -hmm. and you're in New York, that's where it's happening. That's, yeah. and it's happening everywhere. And it's just, it, it's just, uh, it's just part of your daily life. And that's what I, right. that's what I wanted when I was a high school kid. You know, I used to have to go to the library and just check out whatever plays they had. I remember, you know, being in like being a sophomore in high school or something and they got this new play called angels in America and it was two go. parts. And I was like, what's yeah. this? And I checked out the script and, and, and here I am at home reading angels in America thinking mm -hmm. like, this is, this is brilliant. 
what yeah. does this look like on stage? I had no idea, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I wanted to find out and I wanted to come to New York and, and see, see anything I could see. Right. Right. Yeah. And I had gotten the same uh, spiel during, uh, during our orientation. They said the same thing. Mm -hmm. New York is your campus. And at first right, I was right. thinking like, well, you know, like it's because it's a, it's a small building. Okay. I get that. Mm -hmm. But then <laughs> right. only once you get there, once you experience it, it's just like, Oh, I get it. Cause if I was at like mm -hmm. NYU or something, then I would right. just have like this one little, you know, this one spot of, of land. And that right. would be all I would work with. But here mm -hmm. you can just, you can experience the whole city. And yeah. it was, it really was just, it really was something. It really was something amazing to, to do that. So I am like just thrilled that you were, that, that you were able to go there and everything. And yeah, and it was a that, gift. It was a really sort of experience. Yeah, I feel really lucky to, um, you know, like I said, to sort of feel like I had like a tailor-made uh, college experience. And by tailor-made, I mean, like, I had no idea what I needed or what I wanted when I came in as an 18-year-old. But right. but the, the program sort of, it just sort of formed around me. And they were always so supportive in whatever it was that, that I was getting into, you know? Yeah. And, and oh, they yeah. sort of allowed that kind of growth. And I think that's you know, now as a, as an educator, I talk so much with my students about, um, about saying that, that I'm here to allow you to become the artist you are destined to be. Nice. In, in other words, I'm here to help you get out of your mm -hmm. own way and, yeah. and grow, grow into whatever attracts you. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, we, so many of us come into theater, especially thinking like, I'm going to be an actor, you right. know? Yeah. Well, there are. I know. I thought that. Other, yeah. yeah. Sure. So did I. And yeah. there's so many other avenues that you don't even know about when you're a high school kid who's doing theater in your hometown. And so, right. as you start to discover those things, and as as your light starts to go off when you find something that that interests you and that challenges you, I think sometimes it takes the nudge of someone who says, hey, "Maybe you should try that clown class," or mm -hmm. you know, or or whatever. Um, to sort of help you find that path. Yeah. And yeah, I, I give total credit to Bill Bordeaux as well for, yeah. for me, especially because like my, um, the semesters before my final semester there, I was working with someone else um, mm -hmm. who I'll, I'll keep him nameless for now, but you know, like he seemed <laughs> to make a point to like, almost like make an example out of me. It was just like trying to like present something to me and then take it away. You know, and mm -hmm. and that that seemed to me like not the the most productive way uh, to do right. to do things. But at the same time, like he, oh, you know, very recently, um, friend requested me on Facebook, so I was like, <laughs> you know, I'll forgive him <laughs> because you know, yeah, like, whatever, yeah. whatever you know, whatever I went through, it led me over here. I'm happy with where sure. I am right now, so why not? And mm -hmm. but that last semester, Bill took over as my advisor, mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to take advanced studies in theater um, because mm -hmm. I, because that was my last, uh, that was my last requirement, but I had four electives to play with. Mm -hmm. And so I took ballroom dance on that amazing. Friday. Amazing. What? I, That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I took, uh, I took children in television, which was taught by the producer of reading rainbow. <laughs> huh. I took, yeah. I took, I took writing for television, you know, like every mm -hmm. Wednesday morning, which, you know, like, I mean, some of my best work at that time was done there. And then mm -hmm. I get, and then what do I choose? Announcing in voiceovers with right. Fred Malamet. There you are. <laughs> Just, yeah. So yeah, it's safe to say that that last semester was like, you know, above and beyond anything I could have imagined 
And, you know, kudos to Bill for, for doing yeah. that, for, ta- for allowing, for, you know, basically like getting me on that path because there's mm-hmm. so much that, you know, that I've done as a result of that one semester. And yeah. I, I will never forget. That's why I, I knew that I was going to be there for his, um, uh, for his uh, memorial service over at, yeah. over yeah. at the school. Um, now, as on a, on a much lighter note, not long right. after I graduated, not long after I graduated, that's when Dave Havasey came in, who was also a guest uh-huh. here. Um, that's right. when, and you know, uh, Dave Havasey and I, we, uh, we went to the same dance studio in Michigan growing up, which is how Dave came right. to Marymount. Was yeah. I, he, he was going to school uh, at a small university in Michigan and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I had gone to Marymount and, uh, him and I had stayed friends and our moms were really good friends. And so mm-hmm. somehow we started talking about Marymount and he started talking about, Oh, maybe I'll look into it. And so I recruited Dave to transfer nice. to Marymount. Good job. Um, well, done, you. You. well done, sir. Yeah, well done. Thank you. <laughs> and he definitely, he definitely made, you know, made Marymount his home very quickly. Totally. Um, totally. You know, once he got, once he got himself uh, situated there. And a big thing that I noticed that, you know, that was a real treat to see, was a um, was a cabaret that he put together. I believe it was called like M4 or something because it was Marymount, Ma- Marymount Manhattan Men of Musical Theater. Right, right, and, yes, yes. And, um, you know, so like, you know, he was obviously there. Joe Pospisil was there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and Scott I- Scott Alaska was definitely in Scott that. Scott Alaska was there, that's right, that's right. Uh, Brennan Murphy was on there, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and, yeah, and, and of course you. And mm-hmm. that was like, that to me was just like, it was like, okay, this is all, you know, this is, this is Ryan completely like, you know, in his element. And mm. just, I remembered it's like you, you know, for both times that I saw the show, um, you know, you just, you know, you stopped it. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> well, um, so like, what was, what was that whole thing? Like, what was, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, like you were the first one that, you know, at least one of the first ones that, uh, that Dave recruited for this show. Yeah, of course. For, for your show, you mean? Oh, no, for the Marymount Manhattan Men the of Musical Theater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly it was just fun. Um, you know, uh, I think there there is a there's a small fraternity um, that exists in musical theater, and I think mm-hmm. now it's interesting. It's interesting now to look back uh, at that and and sort of see the seed of what has become. Um, you know, sort of my my group of friends that exist on Broadway that are now dads and husbands. Mm-hmm. and uh you know sort of family guys you know yeah. and 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 thinking back on on what that again the the feeling of 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 a welcoming community uh where where you find like-minded people continues from the time we were in college and i think you know having dave put that group together again feels very similar to um the group i have now andy blankenbuehler who's the the choreographer of hamilton is mm-hmm. a good friend of mine and it's been interesting over these last few months of, of what has been a really challenging time we just have like a we have a little a little group of sort of like broadway dads i guess that yeah. stay in touch and uh you know just sort of check in on each other uh and, mm-hmm. and i think you know dave's group was was the same it was the you know it was the 21 year old version of that you know? yeah <laughs> so uh <laughs> almost so, yeah. like kind of like so getting I, of course, prepared I, for something like that you know kind of yeah yeah, yeah. And, and again at the time at 21 you're not thinking okay what's this going to be like when i'm 41 and what does that community feel like you know what i mean <laughs> right <laughs> so um so after so after marymount um mm-hmm. when did uh, when did um choreographing become a part of your of your wheelhouse 
Yeah, uh, it's interesting. So I, I, I always wanted to choreograph and I knew that from the time I was in high school, I was like, you know, making up dances and, and I started teaching dance um, in, in high school. Uh, and, and it was something, as I started getting more into the creative aspects of theater and, and mm -hmm. working uh, as a writer and doing things like that, I always returned to choreography. It was sort of like, it, it was home base for me as an art maker. And yeah. I was lucky enough, um, so my, my younger brother, Evan, is uh, he's seven and a half years younger than I am. And so when I was hitting my stride as a young Mary Mount Manhattan Griffin around mm -hmm. like 20, <laughs> Evan was about 12. Wow. And so I would come home in the summers and he was kind enough to sort of let me experiment on him as a choreographer. And, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so I started creating uh, pieces for him um, oh. and for uh, his, his friends at the dance studio. And like my journey as a choreographer sort of like, like ran parallel to his development as a dancer. And so I started choreographing solos for him from the time he was about 12. And that continued all the way through what would become So You Think You Can Dance in 2009. Yeah. Uh, and it was so funny. When we, were, when we were doing So You Think You Can Dance and we were back in the studio together, you know, putting together <laughs> these numbers for yeah. national television, it just was so, it, it, it just, him and I have always been really close and, and he's certainly my best friend in the world. But right there is nowhere that we're closer than when it's the two of us working together in the studio. It's yeah. the idea of like finishing each other's sentences, but in a way that's physical. Yeah. And, and I think the journey of our relationship was so fun because when he was, when he was a kid and I do mean a kid at 12, he would just right. do what I told him to do. <laughs> but as we grew up and as we got older and by the time we were doing So You Think You Can Dance, we're, 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 we're collaborators, we're equals, you know, and he has his own ideas about such a gifted dancer physically in ways that I never was. He started mm -hmm. around the same time as me. And so if I started when I was 12, he started when he was five. And wow. so he had, he has technique and he has athleticism uh, that, that I can't even touch. And so you know, once I got over my envy of him as a dancer, <laughs> right. then, he, then I was like, okay, well now, now you can be the Swiss army knife of what I always envisioned my body to do, you know, nice. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, okay, so we'll, we'll do this great stylish footwork that I like, and then you'll do like a back layout into a, you know, four pirouettes or something like that. Right. Um, and so, so that, that's sort of where choreography started for me. And then, um, and then, in the summer times when I would go to the Broadway theater project, they also were so generous in giving me a platform and an opportunity to create new work. And, and so I started, um, I started writing, I started creating spoken word pieces with tap dance and, you know, doing all this, all this sort of what I like to think of as, you know, as, as a 20 year old that I thought was progressive uh, avant-garde movement theater. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and so that was, that was always going to be my journey. And um, yeah. I never felt, I never felt whole just like doing other people's work, which is not to say I didn't enjoy it. I, I love, right. I love performing. I love being an actor, but 
I, I love the studio. I live for the creative part. I live mm-hmm. for the problem solving and, yeah. and the, creative, the creative conversations with the director that I really mm-hmm. admire and someone who's bringing more to, to my ideas. I, I live for the buzz that exists in the back of your head, that little, that little gas that's just going all the mm-hmm. time. You know, know exactly when you, when you, what you mean. Like when, I, I have a different canvas, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like when you're when you're away from the studio or whatever the theater or wherever you're doing the work. Like that that buzz continues. That it's mm-hmm. like it's like the you know those beeping fire alarms that go off. You know, when yeah. the battery is low and it's just like <laughs> you 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 think it's gone. It's a great way like, to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yep. it's like the idea is still there. It's still brewing, uh, mm-hmm. and so. Like that's that's what I love, and uh, and 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 to be honest, that's what's that's that's what I miss right now in this mm. in the time that we're in, and um, you know, as 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 we have had the opportunity to focus on our families and do things like that, but been away from work for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I miss that. I miss that buzz. You know. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's really only so much that you can that you can do to kind of fill that void from yeah. say like you know from you know, working with Zoom or whatever, you know, like sure, doing, sure. doing things on camera. Like there's, there, it helps, you know, like it, it gives you something, but at the same time, you know, like at some point, you know, we have to, we have to get back to that, you know, that intimacy level again. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know. and, and, and theater and dance especially is, it's, you know, it's collaborative. No one's yeah. doing it alone. No, unless you're creating a solo show where you're writer, actor, producer, director, it, mm-hmm. You know, it, it is intended to be a group experience. And right. so um, e- even in all the ways that people are getting creative and, and that we're getting creative to do it uh, remotely, mm-hmm. there's always going to be something lacking, you know? Yeah. It's about our shared humanity. We go mm-hmm. to the theater to, to laugh and cry together. We don't mm-hmm. go to the theater to do it alone. We don't get into the theater as artists to, to go it alone. These right. are people who are drawn to that communal experience, mm-hmm. and 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 right now it's it's absent for all of us. So, yeah, um, you know, it's a little bit hard. Yeah, it is. It is, and you know that's what that's what makes the whole experience just like so special when it's there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, mm-hmm. so talking right. more about sure. that. So you get so you're getting more experience, you know, with chore- uh, choreographing, you know, as the years as years go on. And you said, uh, mm-hmm. so you think you can dance came around 2009. Now that was when Evan got on, right? So for those of you who aren't intimately familiar with the history of So You Think You Can Dance. So Evan was actually on season four. He did a solo that I had choreographed for him. And then uh, he got cut at the very end of Vegas week, right before the top 20. And so then the following year, he was talking about going back. And, and I said to him, I said, I said, Ev, you know, you're such a great dancer, but uh, you know, I don't know. You're, kind of boring you don't have a story you don't have a hook and so so I pitched him this crazy idea I was like what if we go together as like the Broadway brothers and Ah. I I was so convinced that I was that I was going to get cut right away Uh, Mm -hmm. I was like I'll be the sacrificial lamb I was like I'll do something really ridiculous so they air my 15 seconds of fame and then you can go on and you know really give a shot and so I uh you know to make sure that they didn't cut me out in the edit um my audition was an acapella tap solo with the whoopee cushion um 
And so, um, and, and actually like the whole thing, like the whole thing kind of like took off in a way that I don't think either of us really expected. And so, and we made it all the way through to the end of Vegas week. And, and of course they, they split us for the, the last spot in the top 20, which that was going to be our plan too, you know? And so, mm-hmm. right. so Evan went on and he finished third and, and I got to choreograph a bunch of solos for him and, and that season, so uh, so you think we had dance has always been a summer show, but that season, season five, was actually the most watched season they had ever had, and so they tried to switch it to a fall show uh, in ah. and for season six, and so because of that, I actually got cut fall season, and so right. so I did one more round of auditions and got cut in Vegas week, and that was the best. I don't think anyone, myself included, really needs to see me in a leopard print outfit doing the rumba which is inevitably would have happened. And, and I don't mind that there is no footage of that because it never happened. Um, I remember, yeah, because... I, I do remember when, um, you know, like after the, when uh, Evan was in the finals and I oh. remember um, they, they made a point to say that they were, that, that you were going to be back the next season and yeah, they showed yeah. your audition. And right. I just remember smiling when I saw that because it was the exact same performance that you did at Bill Bordeaux's uh, memorial ceremony. And yeah, it was so, similar. It was, it, it, yeah. Uh, it was a spoken word tap dance. It was yeah, like the I feel the music. Different yeah. piece. You know, like, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, you're right. No, it is the exact same one I did at Bill's. Right, because yeah. Bill's memorial was right after that. Right. And so even though, like, you know, the timeline, because mm-hmm. it's television, like that was in the can and it hadn't yeah. aired yet. And then yeah. I went and did Bill's memorial at Marymount. That's so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten oh, yeah. about that. Oh yeah. Um, anyway, so 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 you think you could dance was like it was a really cool and fun and special experience, mostly because Evan and I got to do it together, and like yeah. we will always have that, and you know we will show our grandkids that and and everything. But it's that also the most stressful thing I've ever done, and and I, my heart goes out to anyone who's doing reality television because you know they intentionally make it stressful because that's what makes good television. But when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see the forest through the trees and remind yourself that like this is a manufactured environment and yeah. um, you know, and the things that people will say to you and about you aren't always necessarily true. And that, mm-hmm. that they're, they're trying to make compelling television. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, so you think you can dance has done wonders for dance in America and it has brought it, raised it to a new, it has changed. Uh, it has changed the way dancers are, are taught and it has changed mm-hmm. Uh, the sort of like idea of cross-discipline um, uh, skills. So, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, and that seems like a eternity ago now, 2009. So, yeah. But at, um, at the same time, like, and I'm pretty sure that's opened up, that's also opened up a few more doors for you as well as a choreographer. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, it's interesting. <laughs> What's well, so funny now. Um, so, you know, at the time, Evan and I were on together and, and, occasionally people would like recognize us on the street or something usually they'd be like hey it's the brothers from american idol it's like, oh, no that's geez. not it <laughs> actually it's a, it's a different different show but yes it was reality uh, uh, and so what's so funny, it. <laughs> yeah yeah what's so funny now is like when i go and teach at like dance conventions and stuff uh the students they were way too young when i was on you know if like a kid is 18 now they were eight when i was on so easy to dance or seven wow. you know so they yeah. they have no idea nor should they necessarily care 
you know, who, who I am or, or what I did. I'm hoping they're, they're taking my material because they like it, but uh, right. it's so funny the way that has evolved. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. And what an adventure that was. What an adventure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, from what, and from what I remember reading about, you know, like, uh, you know, your uh, latest work and everything, you've also done, uh, you've also done commercials. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I had a, a, another, <laughs> I guess my, my closest next blast with fame was that I was the sun drop guy, which is, uh, it's, it's a soda, mm-hmm. um, that, it's not so big here in New York, but, um, like in the South, uh, and in other parts of the country is, is a really, is a really big deal. And so they did, uh, they, it started, they had this campaign with the sun drop girl mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, uh, drop it like it's hot, the Snoop Dogg tune. And, oh, yeah. and she's sort of like, she takes a sip of the soda and she like dances around everywhere. And so then the next <laughs> season they had this idea that she needed a love interest. Uh, and so I, th- that became me. And so they, I remember, um, and so it was going to air on the commercial was going to air on MTV and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not cool. I'm just not that cool. <laughs> and so I went in and I did a bunch of auditions and, and they all really liked me. And, uh, but they, they had just, they were convinced that I needed a wig. Okay. And so I went um, and I did like a couple wig fittings and then I had to go to MTV, MTV headquarters, Viacom headquarters in Times Square and like try on the whole look with like, with this like ridiculous mullet wig, Um, (laughs) which is fine. I mean, it's fine. Like it's, it was supposed to be silly anyway. So I fully, I fully support that idea, but um yeah, so uh, so I had that was I guess my only other brush with fame was as the Sundrop guy, um, and then I did also as a choreographer. I think this is probably what you were getting at. I also did a campaign for White House Black Market, um, oh, okay. and I choreographed a campaign for Hershey's, and nice. uh, you know, uh, and did and did some other uh, smaller commercials and industrials and stuff like that. So, yeah, I I don't know. This maybe was next on yours, uh, but getting that experience of choreographing for the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, was really helpful because then a few years later I had the opportunity to assist Josh Bragas as the assistant mm-hmm. choreographer for Smash. There we go. Um, yep. Which was yeah, that that was the link you were hoping there you for, go. right? Yep. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was another wild, wild experience. Um, if you for anyone who's ever worked in television, it's like it's frenetic. Yeah. You know, so they normally uh, shoot a television show in nine day cycles. So mm-hmm. you're filming episode one while episode two is being written and rehearsed and talked about. And then once you complete the filming for episode one, you start episode two. Um, and so for Smash, um, I came on for season two. And at that point, they had expanded the, uh, the cycle to a 10-day cycle. But even still, it was nuts because you know, we'd be filming these huge production numbers and we wouldn't even know what the songs for the next episode episode we're going to be and that was the next episode was like next week and so then like the song would come down and like josh and i would spend a day in the studio doing pre-production and then we'd be like okay that's great and we'd send off the videos to whoever and then we'd have to try and rehearse for a day and then we wouldn't get the girls we wouldn't get like Catherine mcphee or or megan hilty until like the day before we'd shoot and so we'd have stand-ins and then we'd have to teach them or i would run to set where they were filming some other scene and in between I would be rehearsing with them on the side. And like, it was just bananas. It's just, 
it's just nuts. It's like, yeah. So different than like working on a show like Hamilton, which developed over five years. You know what I mean? Here oh, you yeah. are like putting these massive production numbers together in like two days. Um, so it, it was really like nothing I've ever done, but it was, it was really cool and really fun. And, and Josh Vergas is such a joyous, um, open-hearted, generous person, friend, mm-hmm. mentor. Um, and for anyone who's ever worked as an assistant in any realm, if you're working with someone who's really gifted and really generous, it really makes it all worth it. Uh, and, and Josh was that for me. Awesome. Um, yeah, which was cool. And boy, did we get to, we had some great stuff. We got, we had some great numbers. We had some great numbers that got cut. It was, Mm. (laughs) I guess I could talk about this now. It's, you know, it's been a long time. time. So, um, so uh, episode one of season two, um, Jennifer Hudson had this, had this arc. Uh, she had like, I don't know, like four episode arc or something like that. And so the first number we filmed was this huge production number. Um, it was called take a picture. And it was the story of, uh, the first black supermodel. Uh, it was a, it, in the, in the show smash, they had made a musical about her and Jennifer right. Hudson played her and, uh, Catherine McPhee's character goes to see the musical and, and we see a number from it. And so it was this amazing number where the start of the number, everyone was in black and white and, uh, and there were all these like photographers and news people. And then as she comes out, like everyone's costume changes, the entire backdrop comes down and now everything's in color and there's like a huge disco ball and we do the whole second half of the number. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. When we get like four or five episodes in and they cut the number. <laughs> Oh. They cut the entire number. Oh, uh, so, man. Then, so, then, so then we have to go back and shoot a new number for episode one uh, mm-hmm. that was like a little bit more intimate. And it was still a great, great number. But, you know, I remember things like that. We had a number that we did with Bernadette Peters that was unbelievable. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I mean, she, talk about a pro. You know, yeah. I, I, we got to re- I got to rehearse a whole day with her. It was just her and Josh and I. Oh, and uh and and during the rehearsals i would often stand in for whoever the star was so like when yeah. we would rehearse with the ensemble i would dance bernadette's part so then when we get rehearsed with bernadette like here i'm i'm breaking down the steps for bernadette peters you know and oh. the little the little musical theater fan who lives inside of me is like screaming at the top of his lungs but i'm trying a long to way cool. from, come a long and, way from saint charles illinois you know? oh yeah yeah right and she just oh she's incredible like she picks up yeah. the steps and like two goes you know um and so yeah and so she had an amazing number that it just got trimmed pretty heavily (laughs) it was like a three minute number and then you see it in the episode and you're like okay well that's 25 seconds Mm -hmm. so um you know but but the show was so much fun and it was so wild and 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 getting to getting to like you know create massive production numbers for television was so fun so fun. And it's got and it's gotten like a real good strong cult following too. It, it definitely has a bit of a, a cult following. Um, yeah, like people uh, continue to continue <laughs> to uh, rehash it and bring it back up. And and you know th- that was like a unique time period too because it was like right when Glee started, and then yep. and then based on the sort of the buzz around Glee, NBC created Smash, uh, and and then that sort of faded a little bit, but. Um, you know, I think the, the room for musicals is always there. Uh, and yeah. you've seen it a little more um, recently. And, and now, like now, 
people are making amazing films of the musicals, mm-hmm. you know. Hamilton obviously yeah. is just just an amazing film of the show, but in the Heights that was supposed to come out this summer and mm-hmm. will certainly be coming out soon. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And uh and it's cool to see them, you know, to see Hollywood say, you know what? Like there's a there's a place for musicals here. Cuz that's what yeah. I, like I used to love those old movie musicals. Um and I think there was a gap where we didn't mm-hmm. really have any good movie musicals and then and then Chicago was like the sort of first comeback of yeah. that and since then i think people have found like there's a market for this and there's a way to do it that's cool um, yeah because like the one thing that the one thing that i was not you know like a fan of of with a lot of the you know different movie musical adaptations um especially the one that i really point to is the producers um mm-hmm. you know like i, I love the fact that Havasi got to be in there you know like it was great to right. see him on, on the screen but at the same time it was basically just taking the show and just widening it a little bit right and that's right. not taking advantage of the medium. You know, like I, yeah. you know, like yeah. I was, I was overjoyed when I saw Tim Burton's take on Sweeney Todd. Like I, sure, sure, I, I adored it. You know, like and still do. And I yeah. really appreciated what Chris Columbus did with Rent as well. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. You I, know, you know what's funny? My daughter's favorite musical during the beginning of quarantine. She's four, mind you. Right. Into the woods. There you I, go. I, we, I suggested it to her because she, you know, likes the. The princess stories and all of that and she became like obsessed with into the woods and nice. it was so interesting you know considering the time and what's happening in the world mm-hmm. and, and here especially at the beginning of all this back in march which is when we, when it all started not being able yeah. to go into the world and the dangers of the world and mm-hmm. it's just you know my wife and i uh were sort of struck by how poetic that was yeah um, yeah so yeah, that so, and also she's been watching a lot of Newsies, which uh, Evan oh. was an original cast cast member of Newsies, so so we oh, get to go. listen to the soundtrack in the car a lot, and uh, she can always pick out the few lines that are Evan, which is fun. Oh, that's awesome! That's so cool. So, um, yeah. so with everything that you've done, you know, like all the you know the you know, so you think you can dance and the commercials, and then you know, like working on television and everything, but then there was Broadway, right? Yeah, there was always Broadway to, to talk about a buzz in the back of your mind. So, yeah, you know, I I'd felt pretty comfortable having transitioned to a choreographer, and uh, you know, I had done some big shows. I had done Billy Elliot and 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 some other. I did the National Tour of Fosse and some other things, and but I was cool with like, okay, Broadway isn't going to happen for me, right? Um, and then and then it suddenly did. So uh, so I'll tell. A, it's sort of a double-edged story. So, um, so I made my it. Broadway debut at 37 in Bandstand. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would be um, uh, 2017. Uh-huh. Um, Andy Blankenbuehler was the director and choreographer of the show, and uh, I I was lucky enough to do three years of development on the show. Oh, and uh, so this is a this is a fun story too, which is that my wife Lindsay Levine was the casting director for that show, and I remember when it was when it, they were doing the first workshop, mm-hmm. and and Andy had been doing things that I definitely was not cool enough for, which, like in the Heights and Hamilton and Bring It On, and so then suddenly here he's doing like a, a jazzy swing show, and I said to Lindsay, I was like so you think maybe there is there anything in me for that for me in that show and she's like no no there's definitely nothing for you she's like you know all it's all all the actors play instruments the ensemble is all gonna have to cover those actors they all play instruments you don't play an instrument there's there's nothing i'll ask andy but there's not gonna be anything for you and so andy was like oh yeah sure you know let's let's bring ryan in for the workshop 
So I did the workshop, right. uh, you know, uh, and then, and then the show's going to paper mill in New Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. and same, same thing. Lindsay's like, you're definitely not going to be in the paper mill production. There's no spot for you. You don't play an instrument, you know, don't, I don't want to get your hopes up, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. So anyway, so the show <laughs> happens at paper mill. I, I was a dance captain at paper mill. Right. And, uh, and so then it's going to Broadway and she's like, look, I don't want to burst your bubble, but now that we're going to Broadway, like every, we really need to have two covers for every, on um, for every actor who plays an instrument. Um, mm -hmm. and so luckily I was the one ensemble, uh, man in the show that, that did not cover a principal because I do not play an instrument. But at that mm -hmm. point, I feel like Andy, uh, I don't know, maybe he just got you. He really liked the way I played the bartender or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I had the opportunity to make my Broadway debut in bandstand and funny story is it's actually the third time. Andy Blankenbuehler offered me my Broadway debut. So oh, wow. the, the, the first time um, when nine to five was on Broadway, um, uh -huh. I was put on hold to be a vacation swing, which means like I was just waiting for the deal, the contract to come through. Right. And that was like, that was like a Friday. Uh, they put me on hold. And then on Sunday they posted their closing notice. And so then uh. on Monday they called back <laughs> and we're like, you know what? We're not going to need you as a vacation yeah. swing. Um, uh. and then, and then the second, um, time was, um, when Andy, Andy choreographed the revival of Annie, uh -huh. um, I was going to be in the ensemble, uh, mm -hmm. and then I was offered the opportunity to be the assistant choreographer on smash. And because I always really wanted to be a choreographer that felt like an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And so, so I bowed out of that. And then fast forward 2017, third time's a charm bandstand comes along. I made my debut at 37. Oh man, that's so, so cool. Like, I got chills, yeah. like that's so cool. <laughs> so rehearsal process was such that um, we were making so many changes and uh, man, the opening number, I think we did like four versions of the opening number. And so the first run through that we really had with full tech, full dress, full lights, full everything was the first preview. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really have time to like take in what that, what that was emotionally. Uh, yeah. and, and so until about halfway through the show, I had a moment to kind of like gaze up at the balcony and, and it really hit me like, like, this is it. This is the moment that I dreamed about as a kid being on a Broadway stage, doing a new musical, you know, mm -hmm. I did it, I made it. And, and I yeah. got really emotional, which, which was not necessarily appropriate for that moment in the show, but <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, when it, when it, when it hits you, it, it's just, it just, it felt different. Um, and, and I had been lucky enough to do a lot of big shows and I'd been lucky enough to, to do a lot of big tours. And, and in my mind, it, it was like, it was the same. But then yeah. when, you're, when you're standing on the Broadway stage and you're like, this is Broadway, it feels a little bit different. And I, I feel really grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. And, yeah. and I had the chance to check that off my bucket list. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and now I'm happy to hang up my dancing shoes at the performer and sort of stick with choreographing and, and directing and, and writing and being on the other side of the table, which is where I think I'm more suited. And certainly, um, certainly my body will be grateful. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I have to say, um, so, so we live in, in Beacon, New York, which is in the Hudson Valley, which means while I was doing bandstand, that's no like, kidding. You know, I used to, yeah. I used to live in, I used to live in Poughkeepsie. Oh really? Okay. There we go. Yeah. So you know yeah. it well. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, so, you know, every night it was like an hour and a half home on the train. And mm -hmm. for me, that meant, that meant um, I would 
I would Netflix and chill with ice packs on my <laughs> knees and a Oof. stim machine on my back. And, wow. uh, you know, and that's how I stayed healthy for the show, for the run of the yeah. show. And I'm happy to say I only missed, um, I missed two performances because of, uh, of injury and that's it. So, wow. um, yeah, but that's terrific. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't miss the hurt. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love getting the opportunity to do things like that. Like, you know, once a month is fine. Yeah. Eight times a week, you know, we'll leave it to the, the younger dancers. There you go. Um, there you go. So yeah. where can, where can our listeners find you on social media? Social media at tap dance Kaz, uh, K A Z on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. Uh, I think I have a Facebook somewhere. Um, and my website is Ryan And, um, and in the real world, boy, I really hope you'll see me back at the theater sometime soon. Um, uh, with my Hamilton cohorts, uh, I really miss those people. It's some of the best people, um, in the world and, and the great joy of, of getting to work on a show like Hamilton is that, uh, you know, it's, it's as good a material as, as we'll ever have. And, um, it's so fun to be able to, uh, collaborate with some of the most amazing young, diverse talent in the country. And, um, in some ways I feel like what we have at Hamilton is, is, is like sort of the greatest graduate program in the country um, Mm -hmm. where we get some of the best, most dynamic performers, some of them coming right out of undergrad. And, uh, and it's inspiring. It's inspiring to me to see how talented they are and how hungry they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to get to be a little part, a little part of, of trying to make them uh, a little bit better, or I guess I should say more refined or fit them into the context of this, this beautiful piece of theater. Um, It's pretty awesome. And hopefully we'll be back at it sometime soon. Hopefully. Yeah. And, and so question for anyone who is looking to come up as either a dancer or a choreographer or an actor or whatever, um, what sort, what uh, one piece of advice can you give them? Uh, I think um, the most important thing for me was certainly realizing that what made me unique is what made me special. And even mm-hmm. though at times that was a little bit hard because, uh, you know, I wasn't going to fit into every ensemble on Broadway. I wasn't, I wasn't the right type. I didn't have the right skills. Um, but what I did have was something that was special for me and it was unique for me. And on the day that they want a guy who's short and maybe a little chubby and maybe balding at 23, but <laughs> tap dances really well, like I'm going to mm-hmm. be their guy, you know? Yeah. And, and I think part of that, part of that journey of, of, of being okay, not just being okay, but, but loving your own unique self is mm-hmm. also, um, following the sparks along the way and those little flickers that other people might light for you, whether that's a clown class that you never thought about, or whether that's uh, someone who gives you a pop at your first dance class and says, Hey, you want to be on scholarship? Um, You know, trust those, trust those little, those little gifts, those little fireflies that will light your way to allow you to be the artist you were destined to be. Oh man, can't think of a better way to to wrap up to wrap up this episode because I mean, like that's really what this is 50, all about. Episode fifty, George, you made episode it. Episode fifty, congratulations! And there's so much. Celebrate with you. And there is so much more that we have. Mm-hmm. 
But that's the beauty of this show because what we are doing is we are putting the spotlight on all the different types of journeys that people can follow in order to reach their own personal goal, to get on their path of creative success. And this is a perfect example of that because, you know, your, your path is constantly going. It's constantly changing and everything. But at the same time, you've always stayed true to who you are. And that is something that everyone really needs to, needs to do and needs to remember because just like with, um, just like with, uh, with all the other writers that are out there um, and, you know, like having, having spoken with, you know, so many of them, having be, been one myself and, you know, continuing to be one. The one thing that they always say is that, you know, like it's not so much that, you know, that every story is told. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's all about how you tell it. That's what people right. are waiting for. And that's what, you know, that is exactly what, you know, what you had said. So mm -hmm. this is, so I hope that all of you who have been listening to this show so far, and there's a lot more to come, um, continue to remember that, you know, that it's all about your personal journey, your own path that you are taking to get to where you are. You can only be who you are. You can only be yourself. And so you have to, you have to trust yourself that that is enough and you are what you know you are what you need in order to get to those next steps so i hope that all of you have had as much fun on these 50 episodes as i have i it's been just amazing getting to not only talk with you ryan but also getting to talk with all the other great people getting to put the spotlight on their own excelsior journeys and so for Ryan Kasperzak, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And I will see you next week. <laughs>